a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story God has been writing in all of history in one word is this word. And it's the word that you and I ought to be asking, is it present in our lives? And it's this, sacrifice. Sacrifice. He bases his appeal not on power and the miraculous. He bases his appeal on sacrificial love. The entire story of the gospel is one of sacrifice. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and this is Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, Pastor Jeff continues his tough questions for us, asking what is our sacrifice? He's referring to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, which says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If you need to head back to listen to the start of the message, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. For now, here's the rest of this message called, What is Your Sacrifice? You remember... If you like baseball like I do, I'm just about quit watching everything else, but baseball, I love it when the batter spits on his hands and he gets in the batter's box. Even if he's got gloves on, he still spits. Maybe it's just left over from days going by. But he gets it, it shows us that he's ready. He's readying himself. And the Bible says we ready ourselves to be a conduit of God through prayer and relationship, getting our hands dirty in the dust that is gathered on our knees. Which is why Dallas Willard says grace is not opposed to effort, grace is opposed to earning. The Christian life still requires effort, but it's an effort. It's an investment that pays huge dividends. Now keep going. You're okay? Okay. But the greater point is, Jesus left it all. The wealth, the position, the power. What he gave up is unimaginable to us because you and I have never had what he had. And he did it all because he loves us, cares for us, identifies with us and was willing to sacrifice whatever's necessary to redeem us. I go back to that passage in Hebrews 2 where we're told that he had to become like us in all ways. Wow. If he's been like me in all ways, he's got to be tempted in all ways. He can't use his foreknowledge to know what's going to happen because I can't. He can't use his omnipotence. We have no idea. Most of us can't imagine what Jesus truly gave up to come here. And here's the thing, what he really gave up is the most important thing to existence, human and divine. And it's the reason that when he went into the garden to pray that he stumbled. He saw something, as we've mentioned in the past, that caused him, that that overwhelmed him even to the point of having symptoms as if you are dying. It caused him to say, Father, I don't want to do this. Yeah. In his humanity, we would expect that. I don't want to do this. Is there another way? Can we, can we accomplish the same thing another way? And this seems somewhat out of place because history's inundated with records and testimonies of people 
who face their deaths with incredible resolve and courage. But Jesus is afraid. He's overwhelmed to the point of death. Now think for a moment. Existentially speaking, the greater the absence of sin in your life, the greater your closeness to God, subjectively. Now, objectively, I know we are at peace with God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But subjectively, the feeling that you have, you know when you're living your life in sin, you know you don't feel close to God. Have you ever had a dream? And in your dream, someone that you really love, that you're really close to, in the dream, they abandon you. They forsake you. And isn't it amazing that it's only a dream, but when you wake up, you got tears flowing down your face? Yeah. For Jesus to know that the Father had turned his head away from him, it would have been so gut-wrenching, but he had to have known before he ever said yes to leave heaven and come to earth that that day would come. But in his humanity, That day now is being revealed to him slowly. And when he moves before God in the garden and finds God's face turned away from him, I wonder if he remembered that the only reason he left heaven was to come to earth to get the one thing he did not have, you and me. Now stay with me. You you okay? So what is God like then? All of that. If we ever hope to write the story in this world, that mimics the story God has written on our lives. And if we're a Christ follower, we're a genuine, authentic Christ follower, we want to. The answer to the question, what is God really like, is absolutely brilliant in the mind of God. Now, one more little piece of heavy work, and then we're good. If you're like me, you often wondered why, if Jesus is truly the Son of God, why not just come down in a big space shuttle? Yo, everybody, it's true. Philip Yancey in the book, The Jesus I Never Knew, commenting on that question says, although power can force obedience, only love can summon a response of love, which is the one thing God wants from us and the reason he created us. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. He bases his appeal on sacrificial love. God does not base his appeal to you on power and authority and to override, but he compels you. He doesn't want just a servant. He wants a lover. So he compels through sacrificial love. It's brilliant. So that the story God has been writing in all of history, in one word, is this word. And it's the word that you and I ought to be asking, is it present in our lives? And it's this, sacrifice. Sacrifice. He bases his appeal not on power and the miraculous. He bases it on sacrificial love. The entire story of the gospel is one of sacrifice. You want to know what God is really like? You want to know what his people should really be like? Sacrifice is the identifying mark of the people of God. They give up something that they love for something they love more. And sacrifice always means it's going to hurt. What have you given up at great cost to yourself for the sake of the gospel? See, I told you we're the rich ones according to the scripture. And since we're the rich ones, we have more expendable income, which means we can become generous without sacrifice. We can give, but it won't hurt. We can give large amounts and it won't hurt. I started thinking, I pulled up some notes of past sermons I've preached on this passage. Can I tell you, I'm embarrassed by some of the things I've said in the past. I think that's the journey of being a preacher, right? Boy, were you stupid. You know, they got, so, you know I pick up a sermon I wrote 20 years ago. Man, I can't believe you. they put up with you. They must have been desperate. I saw a sermon where I said, we all ought to sacrifice. We ought to give up a coffee a week. 
Well, whoop he do Man, aren't we good people? I've said, you ought to give up a vacation from time to time. What heroes we are. I even had in my notes that I said golfers should give up a dozen golf balls from time to time. Well, aren't we sacrificial? And I started thinking, what kind of pastor says this? And the answer is one who pastors in the affluent West. I'm reading David Aikman's book called Jesus in Beijing right now. Aikman wrote for Time Magazine for over 20 years and then one day walked in and resigned because he wanted to write the phenomenal story of the church in China, a church that exists against all odds. At the time of communist takeover, China was the pearl of the modern missions movement. 7,000 foreign missionaries, 900 hospitals, 6,000 schools, 400 years of missionary work had produced 3 million Chinese Christians, a tiny minority in a country whose population was around half a billion at the time. Yet almost overnight after all of that work, Chairman Yao, or Yao forced all of the Christians to leave. And for several decades, no one knew how the church was doing, especially in the light of leaked reports of persecution and social turmoil. <clears throat> Chairman Mao sought to destroy Christianity and everybody on the outside that couldn't get in wondered if he had succeeded. Aikman writes that when China finally cracked its borders, Aikman discovered that the church had exploded from 3 million to 100 million. How did that happen? The church in China was significantly restricted. No church buildings were allowed. Its members were primarily unregistered and underground, and yet it exploded in growth. 3 million to 100 million, that's impressive. And in his book, he goes on to give story after story, and he says it's because of Christ followers like Brother Xi, S-H-I, who understood the call of sacrifice, a man who travels from city to city teaching and training house leaders, a man constantly on the run, narrowly escaping the security bureau time and time again, knowing that if they catch him, they'll torture him, imprison him, and quite frankly, execute him. But he continues to sacrifice money and status and safety and position and prestige for a cause greater than himself. Oh yeah, because Brother Xi, before he became a Christian, headed up the Communist Youth League and he had everything he wanted, wealth. And then one day, somebody gave him a Bible and he poured over it night after night. And he started noticing the difference between its words and the words that he had heard from the Communist Party. And Brother Xi said, after reading the Bible, and I quote, I could not sleep for days. What the Bible said about human nature makes a lot more sense to me than what I had been taught by the communists. I became a Christian. When he told his father, his father said, I fought against the Christians in Chiang Kai-shek. I fought against the Christians in Korea. I will not have this Jesus in my house. Get out. And his father threw his belongings out on the street. You're not welcome in this home. And he writes that every time he passes his father in the city, that his father turns his face away. Brother Xi has a home and a family, but can only visit them once or twice a year. He loves his wife and family, his children, and together, and I do mean together, they decided, they found it difficult, but they decided this is a call on his life to give up something they love for something they love more. So he can only visit them once or twice a year, or he brings them into jeopardy, or, 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 or at least puts them in a position where they could be killed. Reading this story, I recall Billy Graham's wife, who was once asked what it was like being married to Billy Graham, who's gone half the time, preaching the gospel all over the world, and her response was, I would rather have Billy half the time than anyone else all of the time. And because of their work, Brother Xi and his family 
As many as a thousand seminaries and Bible schools are operating in China now. A thousand. Brother Xi visits them all. In fact, last estimation that Brother Xi oversees 260,000 Christian leaders, and I think I have a hard job. He goes by an assumed name, gets little to no recognition, does all his work undercover, and is constantly looking over his shoulder. And as I keep reading the story, here's what I say to myself. Stay with me now. Here's what I say. My life stands in stark contrast to his. I got to tell you, I've been saying this a lot, haven't I? It's really getting to me. The older you get, the more you realize, what have I really sacrificed for the sake of the kingdom of God? In fact, I got to be honest with you. I seem to gain more than I give up. But then a few years ago, I've got good news, but then a few years ago, I was speaking at the World Convention in India, and Dr. Ajay Law came up to me, now stay with me, he came up to me and said, Pastor Jeff, we, all, the, all the speakers were backstage behind the curtain, and Dr. Ajay Law came to me and he said, look, I think there's somebody you need to meet. And he introduced me to the pastor of Nairobi Chapel, Oscar Murray. Now, I don't know if you know this, but those of you who've been through Rooted, that curriculum was originally written by Nairobi Chapel. Why do you think I need to meet Oscar? I want you to meet him before he speaks tonight, because I think it's going to help you. I said, okay. So I met him. Went down on the front row, sat with Robin. Oscar came to the platform. And this, for me, was that defining moment when I got it. It started to click. He began by reading the passage out of 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, he said, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, but I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for the reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then he paused. I thought, that's not rocket science. I've heard this passage since I was a boy. And then he said, Pausing word after word, he started using words like reciprocity and vision and iron sharpens iron. And then he said this, what is true of the church locally is true of the church globally. I thought, okay, local church, global church. As there are uniquely gifted parts in the local church, there are uniquely gifted parts in the global church. He said the global church is a tapestry. The light started coming on. He said, India and China have the gift of suffering. Africa has the gift of ingenuity to do great things with very little resources. South America has the gift of passion. If you've ever been to a South American church, you know what he's talking about. Russia has the gift of stealth expansion. Europe has the gift of apologetics and the academy. And then he looked at us, what does America have? The ability to fund it all. It dawned on me. I need to stop feeling guilty that my faith does not cost me my life. That's not my calling. 
I need to stop thinking somehow that I'm less a Christian because I'm not persecuted. That's not my calling. That I'm somehow not worthy because I'm not super intellectual or ingenious. It's not my calling. The gift God has given the American church is money. What does America have? The ability to fund the global church at home, abroad, and like our brothers and sisters who willingly give their lives and sacrifice, we sacrifice our God-given resources for a purpose greater than ourselves. Remember last week I said, relax, this is not about money. Remember that? This week, don't relax, this is about money. (laughs) You and I are fortunate. Come on, we're anything but unfortunate. We're blessed beyond the rest of the world. God calls us to use what he's blessed us with for his purposes, not our own, right? What are you doing with God's gift to you? How are you spending God's money? What are you doing with your life? Are you ready for what's next? Now, here's the end. In my experience, there are two kinds of people in the affluent Western church. First, those who upsize to upsize. Everything is about upward mobility where wealth is concerned. They consider equality with the wealthy something to be grasped and held onto with all their might. They use their expendable income on themselves, the best homes, cars, vacations, beaches, mountains, travel. Now wait, am I anti-vacation? No. Am I anti-heading out every weekend because you can? Yes. You need to be part of a fellowship of believers. You need to be spending your time and resources on something other than you. And you will when Christ has captivated your heart. Am I anti-nice home? Of course not. Am I anti-extravagant home? Yes, if it gets you into debt to the point of owning you whereby you cannot be sacrificially generous because there's a ball and chain around your neck. Am I anti-golf or recreation? No, unless your weekends are inundated with golf and recreation to the point of captivating your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't you see the story The word that God wrote into the story is the word sacrifice. And you and I are not called to a vow of poverty. Aren't you glad? We're called to a vow of using our plenty on something other than ourselves. We're called to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. The word that God wrote into his story is sacrifice. And the question is, what word have you written into yours? Entitlement, excess, debt, stockpile, hoard, entertainment. Those are the words of the world, man. Let me tell you something I've learned in my own life, that God is a wise investor. When God gives somebody a gift or a talent, whatever it is, if it's not used, he takes it away and redistributes it. He transfers his wealth into the hands of people whose hearts belong to him. He's so patient for so long, but he's a wise investor. Now there is a second and final group, and that's those who downsize. You have those who upsize to upsize, then you got those who downsize to downsize. Faith, hope, and love 
Those are our words, but our word of action can be summed up in one word, sacrifice. It is a compelling force of our faith. It is the call on our lives. Have you ever read Luke chapter 16, verse 9? This is a passage with which I struggled for a long time. Let me read it to you. I tell you, these are Jesus' words now, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. My goodness, that sounds like a bribery passage to me. And after years of study, it dawned on me what Jesus is talking about. He's saying Christians should invest their money in the souls of men and women who will be there to greet them and thank them when they arrive in heaven. There are people who have visited God's pantry that you don't know who will meet you in heaven and thank you. There are children in our children's ministry that you don't know that will greet you in heaven. There are children in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. There are entire villages in Zimbabwe, thriving churches in Rwanda, teenagers and young adults at one and all church, pastors and teachers in India whose salaries you supply so that they can take the gospel into Nepal and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Afghanistan and Bhutan. Aboriginal villages in Australia, Maoris in New Zealand will all be there to greet you because of sacrifice. And God sent me one man in my life so far to model for me what that's like. One of the elders of my church, God's church, that I pastored in New Zealand, and I had shared this before, but let's do it again, and then I'll end. Mike Taylor worked for Air New Zealand. He started out very young, climbed his, climbed his way up to the very top. No, not the very, very top, but he, was, he, he climbed from working on planes to being in management. Very well respected. 35 plus years with Air New Zealand. From the time he was 30, after he had gotten married in his late 20s, he made more and more and more money, but he never increased his lifestyle. Lived in the same house, drove the same cars, but he could afford a lot more. I asked him why. Sometimes he didn't take more vacations, drive fancier cars. His answer was the same thing Dane Johnson told me last week because it's not my money. It's God's. I just keep hearing Oscar's words. The global church is a tapestry. India and China have the gift of suffering. Africa has the gift of ingenuity. South America has the gift of passion. Russia has the gift of stealth expansion. Europe has the gift of apologetics and academy. What does America have? The ability to fund it all. What are you doing with your life? Are you ready for what's next? What story has God written into history? Sacrifice. What story are you writing with your life? Father, I pray in Christ's name that if I've said anything in this message that does not accurately reflect the word of God, that it would fall as seed falls on the path. It would be trampled on and destroyed. But in those places where I've accurately reflected the scripture, the teachings of Jesus Christ, I pray that it would go down deep, that it would take root. And all of us, myself included, all of us would make changes in our lives, understanding that the thing that compels those far from God to come near is not flash, is not great wealth, 
is not having the answers to every question, but sacrifice as we model in our lives what Jesus revealed to us as the heart of the Father, that he bases his appeal on sacrificial love. May we recognize how rich we are and be motivated as the Holy Spirit moves in all of our hearts to sacrifice by giving up something we love for something that we love even more in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.